All right, if you got your Bibles, let's go to Revelation chapter 8. Revelation chapter 8. <clears throat> we'll read the whole chapter again like we did last week with 7. And um, just do a very quick recap through it so that you know where we're at and how we got here. Revelation chapter 8. It says in verse 1, When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood, and these were thrown upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that so that the, a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. Then I looked, and I heard an angel, an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. So, basically... <clears throat> Here's how we got there. We'll give you a very quick run through. God gives John a revelation. That's what this book is about. It is an unveiling of something that is going to take place. And he gives him first in chapter 1 a vision of Jesus in His glorified form. And then he shows what Jesus is doing at this moment. And that was walking through the churches. And He was going through all the churches and He was examining them and inspecting them. And then in chapters 2 and 3, we have the results of Jesus' inspection in the churches. When you study chapter 2 and 3, basically you just simply see that we fall in one or many other of the categories of the inspection results found in chapters 2 and 3. All right, And so we're able to look at ourselves, and we're able to see as a church 
What are some things that we need to be focusing on or we need to be looking for um, and fixing, if you will, before Jesus comes back? And so there's a blessing in us being able to do that in the book of Revelation. And then we get into Revelation chapter 4. And basically what we have there is he gets a vision, another vision, into the throne room of heaven. And he describes to us about the throne and the throne room and the things that are around the throne and before the throne and above the throne and beneath the throne. And all of chapter 4 focuses on this great throne that is in the throne room of heaven right now. And then in chapter 5, we move into this great worship service that takes place because the church is in heaven at this point. We believe that chapter 4, you don't read of the church anymore um, after chapter 3. Once chapter 4 starts, you never hear of the church again until the end of Revelation. So we believe that the church is there and we believe that we see them represented by 24 um, elders, if you will, in chapter 4 and chapter 5. But basically what we see is this great worship service where everybody joins in and they cast their crowns at Jesus because He's the only one worthy to receive any glory and honor and power. And then in chapter 6, we see that there's a scroll that comes out. And the one on the throne is holding a scroll. And then John says, who is worthy to open this scroll? And they look all throughout heaven, they look all throughout earth, they look everywhere there is to look and they can't find anybody that's worthy to open this scroll. And an elder comes to John because John is crying at this point and he says, don't cry, look. The line of the tribe of Judah, the Lamb of God is worthy to open the scroll, to receive it and to open it. And what we find out is this scroll is basically an image of the title deed to earth. Just like you and I get a title to your land or to your house that you buy or to your car, this, then this day and time they would get a title to land and then it would be sealed by seven witnesses. And so we have this scroll that somebody has to be worthy to open. The only one that is worthy to open the deed to the land is who? The one who owns it, right? The one who is the rightful heir to it. Um, and so Jesus is the one that has paid the price that now He is able to be worthy to take the scroll and open it. And then in chapter 6, what we see is that all of these scrolls and these seals, all of these seals on the scroll begin to be opened one at a time. And what we learn is that as each one of these seals is open, what is contained therein is how God is going to take back the rightful throne, the rightful command over all of His creation. And so He does it in the first seal by sending a, a false peace out. He does it in the second seal by taking peace from the earth and He sends war out and many die from war. And then He does it in the third seal by sending famine out and then pestilence. And then and so we see all these seals that take place. But by the time we get to the seventh seal, basically we we have to take a pause because there's a question that's asked. Anybody remember what that question was? Huh? Who can stand? John has to stop for just a minute because he's seen a vision of all of this that's going to take place in the tribulation. And he has to stop. And he says, who is going to be able to survive this? In other words, 
There's no way anybody is going to make it through this. And when you read it and you see it, you'd ask the same question. Because all the kings and all the great ones, all the small ones, they're running to the mountains by the end. And what are they doing? They want the rocks to fall on them. They're saying, please fall on us and hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. And so John just has to stop and he says, who in the world is going to be able to stand? And then chapter 7, we have the answer to that question. So there's a pause between the sixth seal and the seventh seal to answer this question. Chapter 7 is simply the angel answering the question that John has. Because remember, this is a vision that's taken place between God and His angel and John. And so John has the privilege here of actually stopping and saying, hold on a minute, <laughs> I got a question. And the answer, the angel answers the question. And so that's sort of the, what, the progression that you see taking place through Revelation. But does anybody remember... What was the answer to the question, who is able to stand? 144,000 who? Jews. 144,000 Apostle Pauls that turned the world upside down. And then, who do we see in the second half of chapter 7 um, as a result of that 144,000 Apostle Pauls? Yes. Yes, but before they're underneath the throne, why they were underneath the throne because they got killed, right? That's right. During the tribulation, they were martyred for their faith. But we see a multitude at the end of chapter seven or the middle of chapter seven, a multitude that no one can number of all nations, and they are gathered together in in heaven. And as Bobby said, they have been martyred for their faith. But the point first being is that we see the, the result of the ministry of this 144,000 in the second half of chapter 7. So again, who can stand? Well, the 144,000 that are sealed by God first and foremost. Who else is going to stand? Well, until they're martyred. That's right. The ten Gentiles that grab a hold of the robe, the end of a robe of a Jew, as we talked about last week in Zechariah chapter five or ten, somewhere in there. But um, yes, that's exactly right. So then that brings us back to chapter eight tonight. Remember, we took a break between the sixth seal and the seventh seal to answer a question, right? Well, now we go into chapter eight, and verse one reads this: When the Lamb opened. The seventh seal. Now we're getting back on track, you see? So we know we're we are interpreting this right. I don't want you to think that as we go through Revelation, everything has to be in chronological order. This event, then this event, then this event. No, if you follow along, you'll see the dialogue that begins to take place and you'll understand that what happens in chapter 7 is not what happens after the sixth seal. Chapter 7 is simply an answer to a question. And as the question was, who's going to be able to stand during this tribulation? The angel takes chapter 7 to say, during this tribulation, here's who's going to be able to stand. So it kind of, so chapter 7 kind of goes back in time a little bit, right? Now chapter 8, we're caught back up in time again. The angel resumes and the vision resumes. And so notice what happens in, again. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven 
for about half an hour. Now you remember what happened at the end of the sixth seal, right? There have been... I can't remember the, if the number was millions or billion. I can't remember. But it was at least million. It was one quarter of the world's population. I remember that. One quarter of the entire world's population has been wiped out by the six seals that have come through. It has been so bad that it has drove people to the mountains begging rocks to cry out for them. Now we, before they open the sixth seal, there's silence in heaven for half an hour. Why do you think? Now, we're, we got to speculate at this point, alright? We don't know for certain why there is silence in heaven for half an hour. Why do you think, in the context that we're in, and just the information that you have, why do you think there's silence in heaven for half an hour before the seventh seal is opened? Now, we're speculating, so... Uh huh. Everybody will shut up. Yeah. Even there was praise, and you know everything was going on around the throne. Okay. And as this was said, I think there was so intent. Listen, we're fixing to hear what's fixing to happen. Yeah, and you're right, and it, it could be again. I can't look at any of you tonight and say you're wrong because we don't know. The Bible don't tell us why there's silence in heaven for half an hour. It just tells us there's silence. Now remember, there have been praise and shout and thunders and lightning and peals. of. There have been all kinds of activity going on in the throne room. But now at this moment, between the sixth seal and the seventh seal, nothing. Silence. Remember, there's a multitude there that no one can number. There is armies of angels that no one can number. And yet it is absolute silence throughout this entire crowd for half an hour. Anybody else want to take a stab at it? Yeah. You know, when you think about it, the angels themselves have seen the wrath of God at least on the sun. They've seen the wrath of God to that degree. But up to this point, all most people have seen are the mercy of God and the grace of God. Up at, at this point right here, there is no more mercy and no more grace. It is judgment. And I, I tend to fall on them lines too. And again, I don't know. I'm just, I like to speculate when it comes to times like this. But I can't help but think to myself, the angels and everybody there has just sit there and watched what has taken place in the first six seals. And before the seventh seal opens, they're just standing there in absolute awe and wonder. And just don't even know what to say. Maybe. Again, that's just... That's just my personal take on it. I, I don't know, and we won't know till we get there. But anybody else want to take a shot at it? Absolutely. I know. What do you say? Yeah. What is there to be said? Right. 
Yeah, how what remember remember what John's re- reaction was to the first six seals? Who can stand? Who will be able to survive this? And so, yeah, I mean, you can imagine that the reaction in heaven is very similar. Um, just absolute awe. Um, uh, some say that when you read the context of it, that prayer is about to be offered. And so prayer is about to be offered. And in that context, it would make sense that what do you do when we're praying? <laughs> let's, let's be quiet and everybody bow their head and close their eyes. And so that could be a possibility. Um, others say again that it's the significance of what's about to take place. Um, any, anything that you say could be possible. We won't know till we get there. But it's interesting to me that in all this multitude, there is absolute silence in heaven for half an hour. For half an hour. That's interesting to me too, since there's no time in heaven, but somehow or another, there was a way to measure time. So, and then in verse 2, we move next. He says, Then I saw seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. Now, again, a lot of these things we can't... I can't... I'm not even going to sit here and try to act like I know exactly why there's seven, why there's this. But I will tell you this. Do you remember in Jericho, the walls of Jericho? Y'all remember that story? There were how many priests? Seven Seven priests. And they marched around the city how many times? For how many days? And then on the seventh day at the seventh time, the seven priests blew how many trumpets? And when the seven trumpets blew and the people shouted, what happened? So in some sense, I can't help but see that everything that we have here on earth is a physical image of a spiritual reality, right? It's just the way God does things. And so in that scenario, we see an example of the way God does judgment on a particular place. And so where the seven priests were here on earth doing it, in heaven it actually represented seven angels with, of God with seven trumpets. And so I... I I feel like that's the correct way to interpret what we're seeing right here. And then I also want you to notice that he saw an angel that was standing before the throne, standing before the altar, and he was taking incense from the altar, and he was putting it with the prayers of the saints, and he was offering it before God, right? Now here's another thing that you need to understand I think is important. In the Old Covenant, in the tabernacle that was in the wilderness or the temple whenever it was a permanent dwelling, whichever one you look at, they had the same routines. Basically, if you can imagine with me for a minute, let's just say this was the outer court. All right, We're in the outer court. And then at this point, there's a door and there's walls and you can come in through the door. Now <clears throat> you are in the, the next part where the priests were able to go and they were to offer the... Um, uh, the incense and things unto God in this place. It was called the holy place. Only the priest could go there. Then there's a big curtain right here. All right, and if you the priest once a year went behind the curtain, and what was behind the curtain? 
the mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant. It was where the presence of God dwelt. Their job was to... Now out here, first off, let me, don't, let me skip that. Out here before you went into the holy place, there was a big brazen altar. And on this brazen altar was where the sacrifices were given for the sins of, uh, for the, where atonement was made. And then they could take fire from this altar and the priest could come in and the people are out here praying as sacrifices being offered. They take fire from that altar as a symbol of the sacrifice that's been given. Sins are forgiven. The payment has been made. Now they're able, because the payment has been made, God will hear their prayers, all right? The priest would take the fire from the altar and they would come in and there's another altar right here. It was just a small altar, but it was an altar of incense. And it was right before the curtain. And on this altar of incense, they would burn incense. Now if you want to read about this, you can go to Exodus chapter 30, verses 1 through 8, and you can see where this is commanded at. But the priest's job was to take fire from the incense to come in here at the altar of incense in the holy place, and he was supposed to take that fire, mix it with an incense that a perfumer had made, and then his job was to take that censer with the fire and the incense in it and to wave it before the curtain, before the Lord. He didn't go back in the back, he just waved it right here at the altar. The reason why we do that, or the reason why they did that, we get to see now here in Revelation. The reason why God told them to do that was because it was a physical picture of a spiritual reality. What is that spiritual reality? Well, we just saw it. There is an angel in heaven that takes the prayers of all the saints and he takes fire from the altar and he mixes it with the prayers of the saints and He sends it before God, and all those prayers go up before God. And so that's what's taking place spiritually in heaven, and we see it lived out physically in the Jewish ritual of the Old Covenant when you read places like Exodus chapter 30, verses 1-8. through 8. So again, look at verse 3 in Revelation 8 again. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Now here's my first question. What do we learn from this for us today? When you read that right there, I want you to tell me, what do you learn from that? Okay. Tell me what you mean by that. That's right. That's exactly right. And they are apparently a pleasing aroma unto God. Um, even though they are hurtful and tearful for us, God loves the prayers of His saints. And He wants to honor each and every one of them. And so one of the things that I wrote down is that every prayer of every saint is heard 
and stored up on God's altar, and not a single word has been lost or misplaced. That's important for you and me. You know why? Go ahead. What are you thinking? That's right. Right. That's right. That's right. You know, one of the things that I, I love in this right here is that, and I think that y'all, all y'all can appreciate this. I don't even have to ask this, but I'm going to ask it just so you know where I'm at. Have you ever felt like God didn't hear one of your prayers? You know, you know what I'm saying? I mean, you, 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 many times we feel like that a word got misplaced somewhere or this one slipped by and he didn't, he didn't get this one or he didn't get that one. And one of the things that we see in here is that yes, every word that has ever been prayed, especially from his saints is heard. It is stored up. It is not misplaced. That's the reason I've got to have Jesus. Other than me going straight to God. So Jesus will take my prayer and he'll say, Look, God, that's not what that did for me. I know it's hard. Is that what he says? I didn't know it's what he said. with that. I do. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. So that's the first thing that, that I think that we can learn from that is again, every prayer of every saint is heard and it is stored up on God's altar. Not a single word has been lost or misplaced. And that's a beautiful picture. When you go back and you read in the Old Testament, or actually it's in the New Testament too. Look with me at uh, Luke chapter 1. I think it's Luke chapter 1. Yeah. Luke chapter 1, let's start in verse 8. <clears throat> and this is talking about Zechariah, John the Baptist's daddy. <clears throat> he was a priest. Yeah, let's look at that. Beginning in verse 8 of Luke chapter 1, he says, Now while Zechariah was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, talking about his division of the Levites, all right? They had divisions that had certain duties at certain times. Verse 9, According to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. 
and your wife Elizabeth, and so it, it go on and on. But here's the point. Here's the picture that I see in that. Zechariah, the people are outside praying, right? He has taken the fire from the altar after sacrifice had been made, and he has went into the ta- to the tabernacle, the temple, and he has taken the incense and mixed it, and now he is offering incense before the Lord. All right? And then as he's doing this, because what he's offering are the prayers of the people. The people are out here praying. Sacrifice has been made. Zechariah, now his job is to lift both his prayers and the prayers of the people up to the Lord. And as they're praying, this symbolizes that all of their prayers are going before the mercy seat of God. Not a single one out there praying is being misplaced or unheard. Alright? And so next we see that an angel appears beside of Zechariah. He's at the altar offering incense and an angel appears in the holy place. And then he says, don't be afraid, Zechariah. I want you to know something. Your prayer has been heard. And so I love that right there. It's just a, we have that same image that's taking place up there right now. It's just a beautiful picture that we have. All right, back in Revelation chapter 8 again. <clears throat> Let's go to verse um, 4 and 5. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. What else do we learn from that? What do you learn from that part right there? Judgment, all right. All right, anybody else? That's right. That's right. I, I like it. That's that was the point I drew out of it. Was the saints' prayers are the fuel that God uses to take out justice on our adversary. It is the prayers of the saints that are the fuel that God uses to pour out justice. So, in other words, every time that we've cried out to Him because of a hurt or a wrong that has been done. It's not been misplaced or misheard. It's stored up. And there is coming a day when He's going to use that as fuel to pour out all of His wrath. So in other words, it's not just God's wrath that's going to be poured out in the end time. It's yours too. It's yours too. It's your hurt. It's your pain. It's your sorrow. And that is the fuel that's being used to to pour out on that enemy. And that's a beautiful picture for me. I don't know if it is for you or not, but go with me to Luke chapter 18. I want to show you you this. We won't spend a lot of time here, but I want you to at least see it. Luke chapter 17 and 18 is where Jesus is talking to His disciples about the last days. He's talking to them about what the last days are going to look like. And basically, it's going to be so hard that, and he, and you can go back to 17 and read it, but it's going to get so difficult and so hard that it makes the disciples basically, he knows that in their heart, they're thinking to themselves, 
I don't, I don't know how in the world we're going to make it through this. How in the world is anybody going to be able to keep faith through the last days and through the difficult times? And so in chapter 18, look what Jesus does. And He told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. So here's the answer to His disciples, what He knows they're feeling in their heart. He says to them, y'all just don't quit praying. Always pray and don't lose heart. Don't give up hope no matter how hard it gets, no matter how tough it gets. And He tells them a parable. Remember, look at verse 1 again of chapter 18. He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always pray and not lose heart. So what's this parable about? What would you say, Leah? Praying and not lose heart. The point of this parable is don't stop praying and do not lose heart. So let's read the parable real quick so we can see what we learn from it. Verse 2, Jesus said, In a certain city there was a judge. And I want you to notice what's wrong with this judge next. First off, the judge does not fear God. So he's got a problem, don't he? He's a judge but he has no fear of God. Next, he has another problem. He has no respect for man. Any man. He don't care who it is. He got no respect for you. And then verse 3, And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. She keeps coming. She keeps coming because he is her only hope for justice. Why? He's the judge. But he's got a problem. First off, he don't fear God. Second, he don't regard man. So he has no reason to help this widow. So here's what Jesus is trying to do. He's giving you two people here. First off, the judge has these issues. Second off, the widow has this issue. In that day and time, she had no one to get justice for her. She had no one to care for her. She had no one to protect her. If the judge don't do something, who does she have? Nothing. No one. So there's a problem, right? One extreme on one side, one extreme on the other. Now keep going with me in verse 4. For a while the judge refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will God not give justice to His elect who cry to Him day and night? Will He delay long over them? I tell you, He will give them justice and He'll do it speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on earth? Here's the point of the parable. The judge has two problems. He don't fear God. He don't care who this widow is. He don't care that she needs help because he don't fear God anyway. Number two, if he feared God, then guess what? He'd think twice about not helping this widow, right? But he don't fear God. He don't care. The second issue is he don't regard man. So if this widow were his, were his mother, maybe, maybe he would care enough to do something. But she's not. 
Or if this widow were his daughter or his sister or somebody that he had some kind of respect for, maybe he would do something. But this judge has no reason whatsoever to help her or give her justice at all. And yet she keeps coming day after day. And what is she saying to him? Give me justice from my adversary. I'm oppressed. I'm being hurt. Give me justice for my adversary. Day after day after day. And this judge finally says, I'm going to give her justice. Because if she keeps coming, she's going to wear me down. She's going to beat, she's going to beat me down to the point that I just wanted to, to get her out of my way. If an unrighteous, unjust judge who has no reason to help can eventually be swayed to help someone that he has no reason to help, how much more will God, who has every reason to help you, how much more will He answer those that cry out to Him day and night? And what are we crying out? The same thing this widow cries out. Lord, get me justice. Don't you know that every hurt you have ever experienced in this life, every pain, every suffering you've ever had is a result of your adversary and what he has done to us and to this world. Do you all understand that? See, there ought to be something inside of you just like this widow that cries out and says, get me justice against that Y'all tracking with me though, right? I don't have to say it. Y'all feel it, right? Get me justice against that whatever you want to call Him. He has done nothing but torment me day after day after day. And we keep coming back to God like this widow saying, God, get me justice. Get me justice. Get me justice. And I want you to understand, again, I'm not going, I've already changed my Scripture, but you go back and read Luke 18 again. Jesus said, listen to what the unjust judge did. And will God not avenge His elect who cry out to Him day and night though He bears long with them? Yes, He will avenge them. And He will avenge them speedily. And what you see taking place in Revelation chapter 8, the time has come. The time has come. You want to say something? I'm, I'm thinking, uh, John, yeah? We have yeah. That's right. We have an advocate. That's right. We have a, a, a lawyer, basically. One that speaks on our behalf. Uh-huh. That's right. Yeah. So that's what you're seeing take place. So again, here's what we learn. The saints' prayers are the fuel that God uses to pour out His wrath and take justice on our adversary. All these prayers, just like this widow that's been prayed, Lord, get me justice. Lord, get me justice. Lord, get me justice. The day is coming. And in Revelation 8, we get to see a glimpse of it as they're all being offered up now, every one of them. 
And as we see it, it says in verse 5 in chapter 8 again, Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, there were rumblings, there were flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. So there again, just the point being, the judgment of God is poured out on this earth again on the seventh seal. And then in verses 6 through 13, we get to see the point that this is what it looks like when all of these things happen. When the judgments are poured out and the trumpets are blowed, this is what happens. And so, just very quickly, I'm not going to read back through it again, but I've got a little note here that just tells me. In verse uh, 7, basically what you see is the first trumpet and we see that the land is affected. There's no vegetation. There's no crops. A third of all the plant life is completely destroyed and burned up. Then in verses 8 and 9, we see the second trumpet. We see this burning mountain that's thrown into the sea. And that's basically a meteorite or an asteroid, right? Or I say an, uh, it's an asteroid first, and then it becomes a meteorite when it enters the Earth's atmosphere. But the, the sea is affected. It's thrown into the sea, and it destroys a third of the sea and its creatures and its ships. And the Bible tells us that the water turns to blood. And I can only imagine that that's because of the life that is in the ocean. And when a third of it dies, more than likely, that's where the blood comes from. It's again, just my guess on that. But the sea is affected. So the land's affected, the sea's affected, there's not much plant life left, there's not much sea life left, no fish, uh, the ships are destroyed. So transport... Have you noticed the shelves are bare in the grocery stores when you go in here lately? That's just because we've got a minor issue at a port. Can you imagine what it'll be like when a third of all the ships in the world are completely destroyed and the sea is filled with nothing but blood? Third trumpet in verses 10 through 11, another meteorite is thrown on a third of the fresh waters to make them bitter. And people die for a lack of water. So the fresh water is affected. So the land's affected, the sea's affected, the fresh water's affected. Then in verse 12, the fourth trumpet. There is a major eclipse of a third of the sun, the moon, and the stars. And all light is reduced in this world by one third so that you only have so much light during the day and so much light from the moon at night. And I don't know if you know this or not, but many of the weather patterns are affected by the moon, the sun, and all of those things. And so I can't imagine what's going to be taking place whenever, whenever those things are affected. So that's something that we see happen in verse 12. And then finally in verse 13, we see the fourth trumpet. Or I'm sorry, we get a break between the fourth trumpet and the fifth trumpet and this eagle is up in the sky <laughs> and this eagle is crying. And here's what he says in verse um, 13. Then I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. So basically what we see, you remember when Jesus described this in Matthew 24? And he said, these are but the beginning of birth pains. And he described it like a woman giving labor, or giving birth, and she's in labor. 
And the pains start out just a little bit. And then they get more intense and more intense and more intense until finally the moment has come to give birth and the pain is at its greatest. And so basically that's what you're seeing take place as each of these seals are open and each of these trumpets are blown and the birth pains get worse and worse and worse and worse and the judgment of God just continues to pour out on this earth. Any questions tonight? So again, what did you learn? How do you apply this? You know somebody that ain't saved, you need to be talking. All right. All right. If you know somebody that ain't saved, you need to be talking to them, right? What'd you say? Keep on praying. That's right. And, and, and you know, I, again, you've alluded back and forth there in scripture or whatever, but and I, I just so personally feel that we're out here in tribulation. Yeah. I, I do. And, 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 and when I read the last of this, who knows? Yeah. Yeah. And, and it covered so much of the earth. I mean, it just seemed like that this marries up with it from one point to another to another. And it very well could play a part in it. Again, as we get further into Revelation, we do see that the armies of the world take take part in in this in some way. And so we may see that, you know, there is a possibility that 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 those things have a, a part to play in it. Mm -hmm. Somehow. But, but I like what you said. The point from tonight, I really believe that we can take from this is do not stop praying. And when we get back in Luke chapter 18 and we saw that this widow kept coming day and night. She just kept coming and kept coming and kept coming. And I believe that that was Jesus' point on how we get through all this sorrow and this heartache. Yes, don't quit praying. Men ought to always pray and not lose heart. Keep praying, and we don't lose heart. And I really believe that, that that is going to be the lesson that we get out of this as we cry out to God day and night. And I believe our prayer is just like at widow's prayer. Get me justice on my adversary. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. If it weren't heaven and there are no tears and no mourning and no sorrow in heaven, I would agree with you. Um, I, I just don't think that's the case because they are in heaven. And so, and again, but there's nothing wrong with speculating about things like that, but we just have to apply, apply all the biblical truths that we know about any given speculation and see how it lines up. You know, That's right. That's right.
But again, they've been praying for this moment to come for a long time. <laughs> All right, anybody else? Well, thank you all for your time and your attention. Be careful going home. I don't think the cold wind's going to move in for a little while longer, but just in case, y'all watch it on your way home. And um, be careful if you have to get out tomorrow. Um, Maybe slick in a few places tomorrow too. All right. I hope you make some good work. Yeah. Oh man. All right. Who? Um. Was your wife? I see. You don't have no choice. Oh man. All right. Who would like to close us tonight in response to what God has uh, spoke to us? All right, go ahead.